Thank you for tuning in to the Voice of the Victim podcast. We discuss a lot of sad and potentially triggering things on this show. We try to be as sensitive and cautious as possible, but if you are sensitive to things involving abuse and may be triggered, please think twice before listening to our show. Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. My name is Ryan. And I'm Rosie. And thank you for being with us this week. How are you doing, Rosie? I'm good. Um, it's Monday. My kids were not evil to me, which was nice. <laughs> what more can you ask for? <laughs> I heard you had an interesting experience on your way home. Oh, yeah. Well, it was weird because like, um, when I am driving kind of out of the boonies into civilization... And I saw some ambulance lights, but I didn't realize that they were, like, going in front of me because it's through the trees and stuff. And then, like, in the intersection where I go straight to get on the freeway eventually, there was two cars, like, right in the middle of the intersection smacked into each other. And, like, a bunch of cop cars, like, pulled a Yui to get to the intersection and oh. were outside, like, standing and on their knees checking to see on the people. It was really insane. Oh, my gosh. And it was like the start of a very long traffic jam, but I had a front row spot because I didn't make it. Was it by McDonald's and? Yeah. Oh. So I was like, you know, staring at them, watching. Yikes. It unfold. Hope they're okay. That's crazy. Yeah. I hope it's no one we know. It wasn't. I saw them. Oh. I mean, they looked okay. The, okay. Well, I have something to ask you before we get started. Oh. Do you feel? You personally, do you feel like I was unsupportive last week when oh we talked gosh. about animals? No. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to make sure. Because some people feel like I was. More than one? I don't know. I, well, if one person said it, I'm sure other people thought so. But only one that you think that you can actually prove. Only one person's actually said anything. But no, I think you were fine. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm sorry if I was disrespectful. I you, was just trying to you weren't. be balanced in my viewpoint. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So before we jump into it, we want to thank our new patrons, Heather. Thank you so much. Anne, thank you. And Caitlin, thank you for upping your pledge. Oh, yeah. That was like so uncalled for. Yeah. Thank you. We appreciate all of you guys so much and all of our existing patrons. You guys are awesome. And everyone who has given in the past. You know, we understand circumstances change. So thank you to everyone who's ever supported us mm -hmm. and everyone that listens. You guys are all awesome. You guys are cute little goats. Bah. <laughs> what the? I love that. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Let's get into the story for this week. We are talking about Katie Beers, and it's That's a really interesting story. Mm -hmm. She's very inspiring and has... Had a very crazy life. He did so. say that, right? It is beers, like what you drink in a can or yep. bottle. All right. Well, Rosie, do you want to jump into it? Yeah. 
Katie Beers was born on December 30th, 1982, to Marilyn Beers. Marilyn wasn't sure who Katie's father was, and at the time, she was single. She was not really ready to be a mother, and she didn't have many people in her life that she was close to. She even had to ride home from the hospital in a taxi with her newborn baby. That's really sad. I mean, you really don't have somebody if you're right. going home in Something a taxi that, like that. That's that big of a deal in your life? Yeah. Marilyn also had a six-year-old son at the time, and his name was John. She didn't have a steady job, but for a while, she also was a taxi driver. I wonder if she knew the person that gave her a ride home. Hmm, that's a good question. She lived with her parents, Helen and Stuart, in West... Islip. Oh, okay, it is, it is Islip. <laughs> okay. Yep. I-S-L-I-P. I wonder why her parents weren't at the hospital to support her. That's a good question. Marilyn, John, and Katie all had their own rooms in this house. They had a dog who wasn't house trained, so it had a lot of accidents in the house. Oh, and they also had 22 cats. Now, we love cats, obviously. We believe our cats, we believe all cats deserve a loving home. But 22 is a lot. 22 is not a loving home. That's too much. Yeah. How much attention can you really give each cat when you have 22? It just seems like a lot to me. And no offense, if you have 22 cats, hopefully they're all well cared for. You should probably call animal services. (laughs) Let's move on. (laughs) Because of all the animals, the house was always pretty filthy. Gee, wonder why. (laughs) And it was a rough atmosphere for young children. Neighbors in the area saw the struggling mother and donated items to her that she would need to take care of her new daughter. One day, while she was working as a cab driver, Marilyn had given a ride to a woman named Linda Ing... Ingalari. Ing- I didn't know that. Oh, I'm sorry. I read the book. Most of it. Well, did you listen to it? No. So, in my head when I was reading it, it was Ing... Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. The fare for the ride home came to $5, but she didn't have enough to pay at the time. So she wrote her phone number on the back of a matchbook and gave it to Marilyn as an IOU. Yeah, so... You don't have $5? (laughs) Well, why are you taking a cab if you don't have cash? But I don't know. Linda Ingleary was married to a man named Sal. They became really close with Marilyn, and the couple really latched on to Katie. They often cared for her, giving her a chance to get out of this dirty house where she lived. They were more financially stable, and they lived in the suburbs of Bayshore, New York. Man, this is quite the friendship just to expound from a matchbook that had IOU written yeah. on it. Well, like we said earlier, she didn't really have anyone in her life. So it wouldn't be hard to become friends with her, I wouldn't imagine. True. When Katie was only two months old, while dealing with a particularly difficult headache, Marilyn handed Katie off to Linda and Sal. She left her with them for a few weeks, and from that point on, Linda and Sal were a huge part of Katie's life. And what's really interesting is she didn't call Marilyn mom or Linda, but she called Linda's mother mom. So Linda's mother was Anne, who Katie called mom. And then, uh, well, let's talk about Katie's <laughs> life with all these people. We're not going to pretend it was great because it wasn't. 
Katie says that these people did not take very good care of her. Can we at least say that Linda was Katie's godmother? Remember that? Yeah, and she called her Aunt Linda. Right. One snowy day, when Katie was about three years old, she remembers a pretty big blowout between the adults in her life. Her biological mother, Marilyn, was on her way to the Ingleary home. Linda was giving Katie a bath, and during the bath, Linda convinced Katie to tell her mom that she wanted to stay with Linda. So, when Marilyn got there, Katie said that. But Marilyn wanted to, to take her daughter home. Like, obviously. Mm-hmm. Linda became extremely upset about this and started screaming, She's not going home with you! She's my daughter! I'm not allowing her to go home with you! Marilyn yelled back at Linda and said that she was going to call the police. But Katie wanted to go home with her mom. She cried and she begged Linda to let her go with her mom. But then Linda called for her husband, Sal, and told him to get her out of the room. Linda straight up said, If I have anything to do with it, you'll never see Marilyn again. Oof. Sal grabbed Katie and shut her into the bedroom. Such an awkward exchange. I, I know. Just, I'm still like... It makes, so just hearing this, it makes you wonder, like, why Marilyn handed her off to these people mm-hmm. and um, why these people may have been so protective of Katie. Well, it was an extremely long headache. We yeah. We can say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, at this point in the story, it's almost like, you know, Linda and Sal have cared for her this long. They would feel protective of her, but, but at they, the same like, time, flat out said that she's their daughter, which she's yeah, not. At the same time, that she's legally Marilyn's daughter. No, this is even crazier to me, anyways. Linda and Sal begin throwing anything they can, they can, anything they can get their hands on at Marilyn, including pots, pans, chairs, and even a lamp. Then Sal started kicking at Marilyn, trying to force her down the stairs to the apartment. Her glasses fell off as they kicked her, and they broke when they hit the floor. So she can't see anything. And I can really relate, because without my glasses, I'm blind. (laughs) Marilyn told Sal that she couldn't see, but he said he didn't care, and he reiterated that he wasn't going to let Marilyn take her daughter. Katie was screaming at them to stop hurting her mom, but they ignored her. How traumatic for a little kid to see and hear all this. Yeah, and as we go on, this becomes a theme. People just ignoring Katie and what she wants. Mm -hmm. Then Marilyn, now almost blind with her shattered glasses, made her way to the neighbor's home and called the police. Once Marilyn left the apartment, Linda locked the doors and turned off all the lights. The police arrived soon after, and when they knocked on the door, no one answered. So the Ingolaris tried to pretend that they weren't home, but obviously that's not going to stop the police. The police kicked in the door and walked in. Linda grabbed Katie and held her like a hostage, telling the police she wasn't going to let Marilyn take her daughter. So this is a really strange blowout to have in front of a little kid. It's almost like these people are kind of psycho. And Katie was starting to realize that. After the police sorted out that Katie was actually Marilyn's daughter, they helped her get Katie back, and she took her home. But this didn't last long. And again, when Marilyn didn't feel like being a mother, she would dump Katie off at the Ingleary's house. Like, how do you... How did they get to this point where 
she can give her back to these people who just like mm-hmm. physically assaulted her. Like it really shows how few people she had in her life. Yeah, though this seems like a huge traumatic situation in my eyes. Maybe this was like just a day in the life for Marilyn. Yeah, like the cops episode we were watching yesterday where the exactly the police like that. took the girlfriend away and the guy was like, "Well, she'll probably be back tomorrow." And they're like, "What's the point?" <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but, but I just wanted to say um I can kind of understand cuz Marilyn she had nothing. She was working multiple jobs to try to just stay on her feet. And when you get free babysitting, you know, mm-hmm. that's kind of understandable. If you really need somewhere to that you think your kids will be safe and you need to go to work. I mean, mm-hmm. this is all she had, right. apparently. Yeah, I guess so. But, I mean, that's just really throwing her a bone. Because these people are not um, setting the best reputation for themselves. They're not top shelf parents? No. <laughs> well, Katie did spend a lot of her childhood living with Sal and Linda Ingleherry. On the outside, they tried to appear as though they loved her and wanted to protect her, but it was all a facade. In reality, they used her. Linda's mother, who Katie called Mom, had an above ground swimming pool in her backyard. Katie couldn't swim, and everyone knew it. But one day, Linda left Katie by herself in the pool, floating on a raft. As she walked away, she told Katie, quote, Don't fall off the raft, or you'll drown. But, of course, she left her alone in the pool anyway, and Katie fell off the raft. Katie started screaming for help as she fought to stay above the water. It took a while, but eventually, Linda and her mom came outside. Katie noticed that they had no sense of urgency to save her. They just casually made their way over to the pool as they watched her fight to hold on to the raft. And once Linda finally got to the side of the pool, with no urgency, instead of jumping in and getting to Katie as quick as she could, like you'd think you would if a kid's drowning, she just carefully reached over the side of the pool trying not to get herself wet and grabbed the raft and pulled it towards her to the edge of the pool. Mm. And then finally, after getting the raft over, she pulled Katie up out of the water. But, <laughs> wow. like, what the heck? If a kid's drowning, why would you be worried about getting wet? You do take it seriously. And Linda's mom, this was at Linda's mom's house. Her mom's name is Anne. She was there, too. Like, neither of them had any sense of urgency seeing this kid drown. Right. This made Katie feel like she wasn't really cared for and that she was pretty much on her own and had to take care of herself. So her biological mom was off and on. Sometimes she seemed like she cared, but other times she was obviously neglectful. I mean, leaving her with these people. And then the incolaries were just awful. But we haven't even gotten to the worst parts of it yet. When Katie was four years old... Linda lost one of her legs from diabetic gangrene, and Katie became like her household servant, doing most of the work around the house. She's four years old. Four. She would force the four-year-old to scrub the floors with bleach and ammonia, which is so dangerous for a four-year-old. Yeah, and they the chemicals really bothered her. She would cough and gag as she was doing the housework. Linda would make Katie go shopping by herself, and even made her buy cigarettes. Yeah, Which, 
four years old. What the heck? Linda, she was a chain-smoking cripple at this point, and she seemed to think that this four-year-old girl owed her all of this because she'd cared for her at times while she was growing up. Oh, my goodness. Like, this is it was a- like Cinderella, you know? I didn't really think about it when I was reading the book, but like my youngest boy is four, almost five, and I would never leave him out of my sight, even, like... At a park. <laughs> well, he's still a baby, kind of. He's just you know? a k- little kid who, like, I still have to like, help him put his snow pants on, and it's super annoying. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like a little kid can't buy you cigarettes or even leave the house by themselves to do anything. And remember, this is in the late 80s. This is before there were, I guess, they would check your age when you bought cigarettes. But, I mean, things got even worse than this for Katie. When Katie was around five, Linda's brother came over for dinner with his girlfriend. While they were there, Katie apparently did something that was really annoying to them, and Sal and Linda ended up grabbing Katie and pulling her over toward the pantry closet. Katie begged to go to the bathroom, but they ignored her, threw her into the closet, and locked the door. Katie pounded on the door, begging to be let out. But Sal told her that if she kept it up, they'd leave the house. They kept her in there for hours. She had to go pee really bad before they locked her up. So now she was fighting to hold it in until they let her out. She curled up on the floor in the dark and sobbed. So uh, that just crossed another line of terrible. I mean, physical abuse and child neglect. But this wasn't the end of it. They did end up leaving the house. They went to see a movie with their guests, and Katie ended up having to relieve herself in the pantry. When they got home, they found her covered in urine, and Linda was so upset she beat her until she was covered in bruises. Because Linda was confined to a wheelchair, she'd make Katie lay across her lap, and then she'd beat her with a hairbrush. Oh, oh this poor girl. Why the heck would these morons fight so hard to get custody of her just to treat her like trash, like an inconvenience? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess because they were selfish and they got things out of her, which no adult should ever expect from their child. And what we've shared so far is absolutely awful. I mean, that could be the episode right there. But now we're going to share a whole new level of awful. One day, when Katie was only two or three years old, she was sick, and Linda had left the house to buy Katie cough medicine. She was alone with Sal, who never really gave her any attention. She always had the sense that he really didn't care much about her, and Katie was sitting on the floor playing with one of her Barbie dolls. Sal typically ignored her, but this day he sat down on the floor next to her and began playing with her. She thought it was strange because he'd never played Barbies with her before. We just want to warn you... Listener discretion advised for this next part. We'll try to be sensitive and not too graphic, but this is something Katie had to endure, and we think it's important in understanding everything she had to go through as a child. As she was playing with her Barbies, Sal touched her between her legs. And she's two years old at this point. This man claims to be her father, and he's, he does this to a two-year-old girl. She's still a baby. After he touched her, Katie felt ashamed and embarrassed. 
like she did a really bad thing. So sad because it's not her fault at all. And now she's having this shame thrust upon her all because of the selfish, perverted desires of this idiot. Katie had nowhere to turn to when she was abused because all of the adults in her life were either abusive or neglectful. She couldn't really trust anyone, so she had nobody to talk to about it. Sal was a pretty horrible guy. He didn't only abuse Katie. He was physically abusive to everyone in his life. He would smack around his wife, Linda, his mother-in-law, Anne, and Marilyn, like we've already discussed. He would also hit Katie's older brother, John. One day, when Sal ordered John to mow the lawn, John said he was busy and he'd do it later. But Sal was not happy with this response. Now keep in mind, Sal isn't John's father. He's just the husband of some lady that John's mom met on a taxi ride. So Sal has no right to boss John around. But Sal yelled at John to get his ass outside and mow the lawn. John replied saying, you're not my father and you can't tell me what to do, which is completely accurate. Mm -hmm. They got into a heated argument, which turned into a physical fight. John made it clear that he'd had enough of Sal's BS and wanted to leave. But in response to this, Sal used his adult, unfair strength to show his dominance over this child. Sal grabbed John and threw him on the floor. Then he wound up and kicked John in the stomach as hard as he could, knocking the wind out of him. Now we talk about an abuse of power in a relationship a lot. Well, here it is. This adult man is abusing his physical dominance over a child. It's not balanced, it's not fair, and that makes it abusive. Katie saw this happening, and it really affected her. Remember, John was six years older than Katie. He was her big brother, and she just saw this monster treat her big brother like a rag doll. On many occasions, when Sal would get upset with Katie, he'd grab her by the shirt just below her throat, and hold her up against the wall, letting her dangle. He'd shout and curse at her. Then, when his arms got tired of holding her up, he'd set her down and wrap his his hands around her neck. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so Sal Ingolari is a monster. When Katie was six years old in 1988, Sal had a heart attack, which led to them losing their house. Surprisingly, Marilyn offered to let them move into her parents' house with them. She said that they could stay as long as they needed to. Now, Marilyn is a neglectful mom. There's no doubt about that. But she did seem to have a kind heart. You know, I mean, it depends which way you look at it. Because inviting these monsters into your house um, seems like a terrible decision. But at this time, she didn't know about all the abuse. Right. You know, and she was just trying to do something nice, I guess. Also get some free babysitting. <laughs> but, I mean, a few years ago, these people kicked the crap out of her and tried to steal her daughter, but now she's offering them a place to live. So mm -hmm. it does show her character. Yeah, it does. Before they moved in, Katie's grandma, Helen, had her room on the bottom floor and Katie's room was also down there. Then, Marilyn and John each had their own upstairs bedrooms. But after the Ingleries moved in, Helen and Marilyn each kept their rooms, but Sal got Katie's old room, and Linda got John's old room. 
Then John was forced to share a room with Sal, and Katie was forced to share a room with Linda. It's weird that Katie and John had to basically switch rooms and then share it with these two Why people. Why wouldn't they just share a room? They're siblings. Yeah, exactly. Why didn't Sal and Linda share a room? Hmm. It doesn't make sense. This house was covered with animal waste, but it also had a cockroach problem. This led to Katie getting bullied at school and being called Dirty Katie or Roach Girl because of her hygiene. Oh, this poor thing. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that it was in the book it actually said Roach Kid. Roach Kid? Oh. Yeah. Again, she's suffering even more because of the neglect of the adults in her life. And it's not her fault that she was dirty. No one was taking care of her, but she still had to suffer the bullying. Mm-hmm. Because of the neglect. No, this this is so stupid because it's like she needs a bedtime, not a curfew. But Linda set a curfew of 9 p.m. for Katie to be in bed. And well, in the bedroom, yeah. If she didn't make it in time, she'd lock Katie out of the room. It was a firm rule. Even if Katie got there when Linda was still awake, she'd turn Katie away saying, You didn't listen. I don't know how Linda got away with this because she was the one who was squatting in this house. Mm -hmm. And this was Katie's grandma's house. And Marilyn was too busy with work to care. It's just such a weird situation. Like, why is Marilyn letting her children sleep with these strangers? Right. Why doesn't Katie sleep in her own mom's room? They, They said that it's because Marilyn had to work and she needed her sleep and... It's just all so strange. So strange. When Linda would lock Katie out of the room, she was forced to sleep in the living room, which gave Sal access to Katie in the middle of the night. On these nights, Katie would wake up in the middle of the night to find Sal standing over her and touching her. Then he would lay next to her and masturbate. Each time it progressed to something worse than before. He started forcing her to touch him, taking her hand and showing her what to do. Eventually, Katie started trying to hide somewhere else when she got locked out of Linda's room. But Sal would still come looking for her. It's so sick. But it really seems like Linda and Sal were collaborating on this. Because Linda would let Sal know when Katie missed her curfew. And he would let he would go hunting for her, basically, in the house. And if she wasn't in the couch, or on the couch... um. She, he would go looking for her, you know? And this is in the place which should have been her home, where she should have had comfort and mm-hmm. safety. When Sal would catch her, he'd grab her and lay her on her stomach. Then he'd take both of his and her clothes off and push himself against her from behind. At first, this would happen once a week. But soon it became a daily occurrence, and Linda just always locked Katie out of that room. It's just, like, how could you turn such a blind eye? There's no way she didn't know something was going on. Right. And it's worth mentioning Marilyn, Katie's real mom, she worked multiple jobs, but one was an overnight shift caring for a senior citizen. But I'm curious how her grandma, Helen, never knew what was going on. You know, she slept on the same floor where the couch was, just down the hall from where Sal was abusing her. And she apparently never heard a thing. 
Another messed up thing is that Sal would intentionally delay Katie from getting to the room by her curfew. So Linda would lock her out. Like, he would keep her Hmm. from it. So Mm -hmm. it's like a huge conspiracy against Katie. Eventually, the daily molestation turned into rape. When he was finished with her, he'd order her to pull her underwear up and go clean up. He'd follow her to the bathroom and watch to make sure that she cleaned everything as he cleaned himself up. Then he'd grab a can of beer and sit in the Lazy Boy recliner in the living room. What a routine. It's a little girl, and this was a daily occurrence at this point. And he just acted like it was, like you said, a routine. Mm-hmm. It, he just, well, we're done, pop open a beer and chill on the chair. It's... <sighs> okay, sorry, I interrupted again. <laughs> You're fine. Katie tried to hide. She'd sleep behind the couch on the floor and try to hide, but he'd find her and force her to go where he wanted. Other times, she'd pretend to be asleep, hoping he'd stop. But he just did his thing, then shook her awake and commanded her to go clean up. She started begging her grandma, Helen, to let her sleep in her room. Sometimes she would say yes, and Katie felt safe in that room. But Sal would come into Helen's room and whisper into Katie's ear, telling her to come play with him and threatening her if she didn't. Again, how does Helen not notice this going on? He literally is coming in the middle of the night to take Katie out of Helen's bed? That's pretty disgusting. He eventually started abusing her during the day because he was getting more comfortable. No one ever did anything to help Katie. She would try to avoid coming home from school, but she eventually had to. She tried bringing friends home with her, but Sal scared off one of Katie's friends when he exposed himself to her. So Katie had her friend over, uh, her name was Roseanne, and they were playing, just playing like kids do at the house. But Sal decided to get involved, and he told the girls to play drive through and they would like go up to his bedroom window and pretend to order food. And it was when it was Roseanne's turn to order he opened up his robe and exposed himself to her. And she left crying. And Sal got so mad about this that he immediately called Katie inside and violently raped her. Hmm. I wonder what he expected to happen. (laughs) I don't know. Roseanne's mom wouldn't let her see Katie anymore and called CPS. But Sal threatened Katie, and she was so terrified that she told CPS that Roseanne made it all up and something was probably happening to her at her own home. (laughs) Every day when Katie got home from school, Sal would tell her to come to his room, and once she was there, he'd take his clothes off. And by the way, he was a really fat and nasty dude, just to paint a picture. It's true. (laughs) He'd lay in his bed and tell her to play with him as he watched porn, and forced her to watch as well. Then he'd rape her. He made her use lotion when she touched him, and she would try throwing it away, hoping that it would stop him. Several times she threw away his lotion, but every time he would replace it. That was a, like a decent section of the book. Like she told that story, and sounded like the lotion thing. Like that was one of the signs that she knew it was going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Every time she saw a new bottle, she would cry because. It was just another way that he was taking this power he had over her and abusing it and taking away what little power she had in her life, Mm -hmm. you know? She just couldn't win. But we can 
just continue to see a progression here. Like it became a daily routine and every day it got a little worse, you know? And you may wonder what was Linda doing? Like, how was she okay with her husband sleeping in a different room? And it seems like she was okay with him raping a seven-year-old girl every day. Linda would stay in her bedroom upstairs and call 900 numbers. She would talk to the people on the other line, pretending to be sexy and telling them what she was wearing. It was all lies, and it disgusted Katie. Because she would do this right in front of Katie. Mm Mm-hmm. She would talk about how sexy sexy she was, but in reality, Katie described her as a bulldog, having massive rolls of fat. And these phone calls were $3 a minute. Oof, that's expensive. Yeah. One month she ran Helen's phone bill up over $1,000. And how they paid that off with the little money Marilyn was bringing in, um, I have no idea. On one of the rare nights when Katie actually got to go to sleep in the bed, Linda was on the phone at 4 a.m., and she told the man on the other line that she had a little girl sleeping next to her. The man asked to talk to the little girl, and Linda shook Katie awake, saying, He wants you! Katie said she didn't want to do it. It was 4 a.m., and she was trying to sleep for school the next day, and the thought of talking to a strange man on a 900 call was disgusting. But Linda threatened Katie that if she didn't take the call, she wouldn't be able to go to school the next day. And at this point in her life, Katie loved going to school because it was the only time she could escape from this life of abuse at what's supposed to be her home. And she threatened Katie after that, saying that she'd make her sorry if she didn't do it. So eventually she did what Linda asked of her. The man asked Katie what she wanted to do with him. And Katie started crying. Because what, what is a little kid going to say to that? It's mm-hmm. disgusting. Linda grabbed the phone and smacked her, saying that Katie was embarrassing her. Linda would also make Katie watch porn with her while Linda touched herself. Ugh. That's disgusting. I, there's literally nobody in her life that's not abusing her in some way, whether it's neglect or mm-hmm. sexual abuse, physical abuse. So true. Sal would give Katie rides to school and take her with him everywhere he drove. On the rides, he'd find a vacant lot that couldn't be seen from the road. Then he'd take a bottle of lotion out of the glove box, recline his seat, and force her to touch him. It would happen all the time. Yeah. It's safe to say her home life was completely terrible, but she was actually still a really good person. It didn't seem to have the effect on her that you'd expect. Katie was very good at making friends, and she was very kind and a loving person. When she'd go out of the house to run those errands for Linda, she would bond with the employees at the stores and even make them little cards that said, I love you. This poor kid is so desperate to find love from anybody. Yeah, and she's so naturally resilient. Katie had a $5 a week allowance, and almost always used it to buy little gifts for other people. And like you said, she was desperate for any kind of adult interaction that wasn't abusive. Even though she had endured so much, she still had love and kindness in her heart somehow. School was Katie's only escape, but she never got to go there regularly. She'd eagerly get ready to go every day, 
but most days Linda would pound the floor with a broom and call her upstairs and give her a list of errands to do. Like making her go buy cigarettes. Then Linda would call the school and say that Katie was sick. The truancy department actually called the house to see why she missed so much school. So in the middle of the day, the day they called, Sal drove her to school because they didn't want to get in trouble or get investigated. But on the way, he found a secluded lot and pulled over and forced her to pleasure him again. Mm. They'd send her to school in the winter wearing summer clothes, and the school would call them and ask them why she wasn't dressed properly. Yet somehow no one stepped in to help? At some point, Sal had taken out a huge home equity loan on Helen Beer's home. He said it was to make repairs on the house, but there was no evidence of that. It was probably to pay Linda's phone bill. Sal never made any payments on this new loan, and in 1990, the home was foreclosed on. So let's put that into perspective. Marilyn lived with her mother, Helen, and her husband, Stuart, which is Marilyn's dad, Sal and Linda lost their home, then Marilyn let them move into her parents' home, then somehow Sal was able to take out a home equity loan on a house he didn't own, and then he squandered it all away and didn't pay for it? What the heck? These people, at least Sal and Linda, are so self-entitled and selfish and disgusting. Mm, Indeed, yes they are. The night before Katie's family had to move out of their home, Katie snuck out in the middle of the night and went to a neighbor's house to say goodbye, giving them a hug and a kiss. Yeah, again showing how full of love she was despite the abuse. But the new living situation they went to was even weirder than the one they had before. Somehow, after foreclosing, Sal and Linda were able to get a new home in Bayshore, New York and they took Katie and Helen with them. But Marilyn got her own one-bedroom apartment in Mastic Beach, New York. Which is almost 30 miles away from Bayshore. In January of 1992, Marilyn showed up to the Ingleary's home. She took Katie and Helen from the house, taking them to her apartment. Then she reported Sal to the police for sexually abusing Katie and obtained a restraining order against him for Katie. Police investigated for several months. Thankfully, in October of 1992, Sal was finally arrested on charges of child sex abuse, and his trial was set for February of 1993, after he pled not guilty. Uh, Shortly after his arrest, he was back living with Linda somehow, apparently on bail awaiting trial. Hmm. What a strange twist of events. Like, she did let Katie live with them, and then she pulled them out pulled her out and got the restraining order and stuff. It's just yeah. a very odd... Well, at some point, Katie came forward and told mm. her mom about it. Mm-hmm. And it does seem like her mom knew about it for a while, though, and still let her live there. But now we need to introduce another character to this mess of a situation. His name is John Esposito. Shortly before Katie turned 10, Marilyn had seen a posting for a big brother in their area. Which is kind of a person who takes a kid under their wing and teaches them things about life, kind of filling a role that they don't have in their own life. So John Beers was missing a father figure, um, and this offer appealed to Marilyn. 
She hired John Esposito, who really seemed good with kids. Katie and her brother, along with their friends, would hang out at his house and watch TV or play video games. He would even buy gifts for all the kids, and it was all the time, and he really worked hard to build a closer bond with each one of them. John Esposito became like a father to John Beers, and they even had little nicknames, Big John and Little John. But at some point, Little John told his mom some shocking things. Little John said that Big John Esposito had molested him, so Marilyn quickly cut off contact with John Esposito. It's like everyone in this story is a terrible person. Mm-hmm. Every adult, I should say. So after Marilyn took Katie away from Sal and Linda, she banned any contact with either of those men, Sal or John. But Linda still called herself Katie's mother and wanted Katie to feel the same, even though Marilyn had fought it. Still, Katie only called her Aunt Linda. On Katie's birthday, her 10th birthday, she insisted on throwing Katie's birthday party. And the way Linda actually got this to happen was pretty manipulative. She had her mother, Anne, ask Marilyn to take Katie for her birthday. So, I mean, that's pretty skeevy. Like, I don't know if Marilyn even knew Anne was taking Katie to Linda's house. Hmm. Marilyn finally agreed to let Anne take Katie, but under the condition that Katie was... was to have no contact with either Sal or John Esposito. Shortly before this, Katie had actually gotten lice and had to shave her head. So she was really self-conscious about it, and it's just another awful thing to throw on top of the pile of horrible things happening to her. On Katie's birthday, even though Sal and John had both been reported to authorities by Marilyn, they were still free men. Sal still lived in the Bayshore house with Linda, though they were legally separated. The party was on December 27, 1992, three days before Katie's actual birthday. She wanted to be called Catherine now because she was growing up. And she also wore this floppy hat she called a blossom hat to cover her shaved head. Poor kid. At the party, despite Marilyn's wishes, John Esposito was invited and he showed up with a Barbie dream house for Katie. He said that he'd come back tomorrow to help her put it together. Now, at this point, Katie actually reminded Linda that she wasn't supposed to be around Big John Esposito. But Linda just said, well, we won't tell your mom. (laughs) It just seems like she was intentionally Mm -hmm. going against Marilyn because... Someone had to have told John about this party for him to show up with this big Barbie dream house. Right. So John returned the next day, but he had a new plan. He wanted to take Katie to an arcade called Spaceplex. It was only 15 minutes away, but again, Katie fought. She told Linda that she couldn't go with him. Yeah, so she's Katie here is the voice of reason, the 10-year-old child. And Mm -hmm. she's saying, no, my mom said no, and I don't want to be around this man. But again, Linda ignored Katie's protests and let Katie go with John. Right. So John got Katie to get in his car, and they drove off. A few hours after this, John frantically approached the manager of the Spaceplex, 
asking him if he'd seen a little girl in a floppy blossom hat. So John lost track of Katie at the arcade? Well, that's how it seems. The manager called the police to report the girl missing. And that's where we'll pick back up next week. So, like I said, crazy story. And this is just the beginning. Mm -hmm. This is just setting the stage for even crazier stuff that's going to happen. So, yeah, this story is really inspiring. And I'm really excited to do part two. What do you think of it so far? Well, I do know what happens this time because I read most of the book. Which we should also mention, Katie wrote a book called Buried Memories, which is um, one of the sources we've used. So definitely recommend checking that out. But we will be back next week to finish the story. So should we do a couple of reviews and then call it a night? I think so. Tacos are calling my name. Would you like to do the first or the second review? Second one, definitely. All right. First review is from Tipsy Turtle 77 on Apple Podcasts from the United States. Um, it's entitled Grew On Me. said, I have to be honest. When I first started listening to this podcast, it wasn't one of my favorites, but it was decent enough to be interesting filler between my other pod episodes. Understandable. <laughs> but then I listened to their Shania Davis episode and ended up bawling like a baby right along with Rosie. That is a day that my cold, dead heart <laughs> melted <laughs> and Voice of the Victim hopped in and got all warm and cozy. That's funny. I love it. That's I love the description there. Mm-hmm. The cherry on top of it was when Rosie said she wanted to go hug her cat. <laughs> <laughs> this just solidified my thought that she's my kind of people. You are, not me. <laughs> Keep up the heartfelt and fantastic work, you guys. Five stars. Thank you. Thank you, you, Tipsy Turtle. I really like that. (laughs) The second one is entitled Love! uh, Exclamation point times three. Before you read it, uh, it's from Kayla Shocked. I think that's how you might pronounce it. But she's a patron of ours. Yay, Kayla! So yeah, just wanted to throw that out there before you read it. Thank you, Kayla. Shocked. That's how you say her last name. (laughs) It's entitled Love with three exclamations. It says, I just love how you guys talk about things no one really wants to, to bring all the victims a voice. And I love when Ryan gets so into his feelings and just protects the victims. And you can hear the empathy and want to single-handedly protect all these victims. And Rosie, thanks so much for keeping Ryan on track and sharing your very personal story. Keep it up, guys. Keep giving all us victims voices. Thank you, Kayla. Thank you. It's true. You do keep me on track. I try. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for those reviews. And you have anything else, Rosie? Be sure to write us a five-star so we can read yours. Yes. And also, if you want to get in touch with us, go follow us on Instagram at VOV Podcast, or go join our Facebook group, Voice of the Victim Support System, we're trying to build a bigger community over there so all of the people who listen to our show can talk to each other and with us. So that'd be really cool. If you have a Facebook, go join it. Voice of the Victim Support System right now. Yep. All right. And we're on Twitter. And you can email us at vovpodcast mm-hmm. at gmail.com. So um, I think that's about it. 
Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Don't use plastic straws. Bye. <laughs> Not a visco girl, just someone who cares. <laughs>